family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthy, your host. And we look forward to two hours of conversation with some music and humor thrown in. Well, what a circus we've been through. We're going to try to get a bigger picture on the Kavanaugh Circus and show how this is really connected to the New Deal of the 1930s. We're still fighting that battle. But I'm going to start off with a great moth joke. There aren't that many good moth jokes, but there's one real good one, and it, I think, really speaks to what's going on in our culture. We will also take a look at a couple of other stories that are connected to the circus, why it's so difficult to get a rural hospital built in Florida. Interesting story. And California, once again, leading edge. New proposition to get rid of these horrible cages in factory farms. It's all related, we promise. Now, we have a couple of guests today that we think you'll find quite interesting. Rick Alfandre. Green Architect will give us some highlights about the upcoming Green Building Expo. And David McGuff, a personal photographer for Paul McCartney, Woody Allen, and the Rolling Stones has a new book. All happening here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Is Hal going to cooperate this morning, Ron? Seems to be cooperating. As we know, he runs the show. So far, so good. He's running the show. Ron Van Wormer is our co-host and engineer. And those who enjoy music here on the weekends on Radio Woodstock know your voice because you play them good music over the weekend. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Good to see you, too. I didn't know there were any moth jokes. <laughs> We're here is, to educate. Is it, is it a genre? No. Oh, I made that up. Uh, but but there, I mean, there may be other moth jokes. But one of my favorite comedians, who's become a little controversial, um, uh, Norm Macdonald, uh-huh. told this joke, and uh, I just find him brilliant. Now he can be—he's probably fairly conservative politically for a for a comedian. Most comedians yeah. are pretty liberal and progressive, but I think he's a genius comedian. Uh, He's gotten himself in some trouble uh, for, I think, some relatively innocent things he said. He didn't come out quite the right way, so he had to apologize, <laughs> but that's okay. That's, you know, comedians, their role, and listen, Patrick Carlin comes on our show every, ends our show every week, right? Yeah. Uh, with, with, with some insights into his street philosophy, and his younger brother, George, I mean, said it wasn't about being polite. Yeah. Comedians aren't supposed to be um in line no we need the comedian to 
go past the lines of of everything and make us a little uncomfortable sometimes. I you know, think humor does it its best. Joan Rivers told jokes probably too soon after nine eleven, right, and got uh, got whacked and for you it. You know that because. Your better half wrote a lot of jokes for John Rivers. <laughs> yeah, Hester. So, um, but that happens. That's what comedy. That's what comedy's about. But also, a good joke is often a good insight. And I, I think that as aside from the fact that I love the moth joke, I think it does speak to the circus we've just been through. Mm. And this is not over, okay? Because <clears throat> the Kavanaugh hearings and nomination, et cetera, is part. If we are willing to draw back and get a bigger perspective is part of a fight that's been going on since the 1930s. Hmm. And we'll, we'll illustrate that. But he said, anyway, the, and the joke, which I did not practice, I have to admit <laughs> it. I got, I got laid. How's I your, should, jokes need to be practiced. How's your timing? Well, <clears throat> here's what I love about this joke. It's a little bit of a shaggy dog joke. Are you familiar with the genre of the shaggy dog? Yes. Joke? Okay. Not the easiest thing to explain, but a shaggy dog joke is one where Part of the fun is personalizing it, making it long, right? Adding a lot of details <laughs> that keep the listener interested, or the person you know, the person you're telling the joke to, interested enough to follow it along. And then the punchline isn't really a joke necessarily to get you to laugh out loud, but it kind of just pulls the rug out of the whole thing, uh-huh. right? So, in a way, the moth joke that Norm Macdonald told. Is, a, is that in that genre. Okay. And the way he did it, and of course he's brilliant at it, is to really extend it. I'm not going to do that <laughs> because we've got a lot of other things to talk about. <laughs> so I'm going to give a shortened version and it's the kind of joke where you can personalize it, all right? So I have not rehearsed it, but here's basically, I, I think I, I can get the punchline. Okay. Because the punchline gets to, I think, where we're at with this whole Kavanaugh service. All right. All right. It's got a great opening, right? <laughs> Moth goes into a podiatrist's office. <laughs> Already I'm laughing. Already it's a good joke. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Moth goes into a podiatrist's office. Charles says, yes, can I help you? And the uh, Moth says, yes, yes, you can. Um, I'm really suffering, and I'm hoping you can give me some help. Um, my life is very dark. It's become very dark and um, very depressing. Um I'm, I'm not getting along with my wife at all. Um, and my son won't even talk to me. Um, I can't find meaningful work, and I feel existentially that my life is meaningless. Now, this could go on for quite a while. <laughs> so the yeah. podiatrist, you know, didn't want to interrupt him, finally says, well, I'm a podiatrist. I think you need a psychiatrist. Why'd you come here? And the mother said, because the light was on. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Imagine if you stretch that out for about five, <laughs> five yeah. minutes with his problems, right? right? Which is what Norm did brilliantly. Okay. What does that have to do with what we just went through for the past two weeks? Yeah. What? Well, part of the, and we're all guilty of this to, to one, some degree or another. We're too easily manipulated by a flashing light. Okay. Um, and we don't pay attention to where we are, mm-hmm. like the moth, right? Right. What's great about the moth joke is the moth saw the light was on. <laughs> what do moths do? They they're attracted to the light, uh-huh. right? Well, conservatives 
which are primarily the Republicans right now, are really, really good, just as people in power before them throughout human history have been very good at getting the people that they want to control to look at a light that doesn't serve them. Right. So I'll give an example because we'll get into this, okay? And this goes, this goes to education because the antidote to, to um, despotic politicians, and they're on both sides of the aisle, by the way. Yeah. Um, if you think the Democratic Party is progressive, you know, I got a bridge I want to sell you. Yeah. I, I've never met an honest politician. Okay. I can say that. So um, there are a couple interesting ones running, though, but we'll get to that. Honest? Um, I'm not saying honest, but at least, at <laughs> least they're willing to not parse progressive issues uh-huh. like Hillary does and like most of the Democrats right. do. Um, I'll give a perfect example because a lot of the news we're going to talk about here is, could be a little depressing. But the fact this guy, Beto, what's his last name in, in, in uh, Texas? Uh, he's got a great first name, Beto. He's a congressman, and he's running neck and neck with Ted Cruz in Texas. I know, I know. And he's not accepting any corporate dollars. And he's and unlike most Democrats who, who need the support of the Democratic National Party, which right. is a centrist party, not a progressive party, this guy is talking about universal health care. He's basically taking Bernie Sanders' playbook, but he's 40 years younger, in, you know, or 30 Texas. years younger, and he's in Texas. But he's, he's so dynamic, and he's unapologetic. Yeah. He's not saying, well, I understand why he's th- maybe we'll just try to get a little bit better insurance. No, he's saying, no, universal health insurance. Right. No. Uh we're going to ban automatic weapons in Texas. Right. And he's raised millions and millions of dollars from individuals. He won't take corporate money. Wow. So there's, there are glimmers. Honest ish. Honest ish. <laughs> right. Honest light. Yeah. Okay. We're back to the moth and the right. light bulb, right? So here, this to me would be an interesting experiment, which should be done, of course, in schools. Go out to rural America. Okay. Mm hmm where they're pretty much conservative and say, okay, I got a choice for you. I got, I got a deal for you. I got a deal, right? You're so scared of immigrants coming in from Mexico and threatening your family. Cause that's what the Republicans are telling you is happening. Mm-hmm. And you're scared of every time you, 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 you turn on your TV, you're seeing a, an African American face. You, uh, you, one of these loud uh, feminists, mm. All these people that Republicans got that you've gotten scared of, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the deal. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. We will pass legislation. First of all, we're going to build a wall, right? So that the only immigrants coming in from Mexico are wealthy people, not the poor ones who are going to threaten your family, right? right? And turn to crime, right? We're only going to let in the educated, wealthy ones who are going to improve our economy. Okay. We're mm-hmm. going to build that wall. Okay. Like it so far? It's great, right? You're the rural guy, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm loving it. Hey, we're we're not we're not done yet. Uh, we're going to, through the Supreme Court and through legislation, make sure that not one feminist proposition ever gets passed. Mm. Anything has to do with feminism, right? Yeah. Guaranteed. All right. Not gonna have to worry about those feminists anymore. 
Right, about time. Pretty good, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm, right. I'm living I the dream. I'm going to get you to sign up for this deal, but you, there's a little catch at the end. Huh. So we're protecting you against the uh, the, the the poor uh, rowdy immigrants who are going to threaten your family and the feminists who are going to screw up the psyche of your kids. Uh huh. And um, we're even going to gerrymander to the point where no ethnic person is ever going to get elected to office anywhere that you have to worry <laughs> about in your area. Whew. Right? Yeah. Here's what you're going to have to give up. Oh. Social Security. Oh, no. You can't touch that. No. No, no. no, no that's the deal. Oh, no, no. You can't have that. You can't have the Social Security. Well, excuse me. Social Security is a socialist program. Uh, but we pay into it. It's a, it's a right. That You're not making a rural argument. That's, <laughs> that's not the right. The point is that that's the deal. Will you take it or not? We're going to protect you against all those things that you're supposed to be afraid of, right? Uh-huh. Which are socialist in nature, right? Yeah. If somebody is in favor of open, more open borders, if somebody is supporting feminist philosophy and, and programs, if somebody is, um, wants to have a more open society so that less fortunate uh, ethnic folks can do better, Right. Those right. are socialist programs. Yeah. Social Security is a socialist program. You can't have it both ways. You no. can't have one without the other. So we'll protect you against all those fears that you've been taught are going to threaten you. But, as lo- but, you, but along with giving up those... Do I get to keep my Medicare? No. Oh, I have to give up Medicare and Medi- Social Security? Medicare is a socialist <sighs> policy. Yeah. We're getting rid of socialist policy. That's what you're scared of. Uh, yeah. But I sure do like them. I know you do. Well, then, but then you're going to have to put up with feminists and you're going to have uh, to put up with immigrants coming across the border uh, and we're uh, not building a wall. Then I'll just pull up my bootstraps and I'll uh, make do without my Social Security and without my Medicare as long as I don't have to worry about the feminists. There you go. I'll take it. Now, of course, we don't have enough Democrats making these kinds of arguments because, <laughs> right, but... Um, but I don't think they're really... Those conservatives don't exist who will give up their Social Security. But at least it can be pointed out. Ronald Reagan hip- took Social Security. Okay, but at least Ayn Rand took Social Security. Why aren't we pointing out the hypocrisy of that? Yeah. If you're so scared of socialist policies, then give up your Medicare and your Social Security. Yeah. I'm... I'm uh, the... Um, there is hypocrisy. Now... Why am I bringing all this up? And what does it have to do with the moth joke? Because the way, and this is not new, this is an age-old problem, the way conservatives get people who would most benefit from progressive policies to vote against them is to shine a light on their fears. Mm. So that they don't see the, the hypocrisy of the beauty and the importance of Social Security and Medicare, right? They'll... So you can have that, but you got to hate all the other socialist programs, right? Okay, that's no different than a moth going to the light, even if it's gonna if they're gonna die there, <laughs> right? Uh huh. Right? Yeah. And this is not just a current issue. We're still fighting the battle of the New Deal. The New Deal. So I went back. I got a little some some Wikipedia here, and uh-huh. we'll go into this a little bit to to, to make our points. Yeah. Because otherwise, you see, we progressives are just as guilty at being um, mesmerized by the light in the wrong place. Okay? We're going to, 
Now, you have some idiot Democrats saying, okay, we're going to impeach Kavanaugh. Well, you know what? First, get your damn Congress uh, Congress people elected before right. you start bragging about doing anything, all right? Yeah. Because here's what Republicans have done brilliantly. They have used the weaknesses of the Constitution to their benefit. Um, think about this now. With Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, you have five ultra-conservative judges. We're pretty much going to control the agenda for decades. Yeah. Okay. Five. Four of them, it's four out of five, were nominees of presidents who didn't win the popular vote. Mm. Wow. Big picture here. Yeah. Okay. It's not an accident, right? It's not an accident that Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. Um, this is a strategy that Republicans have been using since the eight, well, since the 30s, since, since they were horrified by the New Deal, which right. gave people Social Security and Medicare, <laughs> uh-huh. along with a lot of other rural development programs that pulled us out of the Depression. Right. Okay. And by the way, a lot of the people, the conservatives who railed against the progressive nature of the New Deal were Democrats. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is... Not so much Democrat versus Republican, which is what the Democrats would like us to believe. This is conservative versus progressive. Right. And uh, so we now have the Republicans have, have very, very smartly and skillfully used weaknesses in the Constitution. One of the weaknesses is you don't have to win the popular vote to become president. Yeah. You have to win the Electoral College. George W. Bush lost the popular vote. Yes. To Al Gore. Donald Trump. Donald Trump lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. Right. They've both put in conservative judges to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. All right? Give them credit. They're smart. Yeah. Uh, cynical, but smart. Okay. So the reverse was true in the 30s. Uh, now... It was a little different because it was actually the Supreme Court that resisted the New Deal and resisted Franklin Roosevelt. Hmm. So let's get into this a little bit because we're still fighting this battle. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you why eventually we're going to win it. <laughs> okay. I think within the next 10 years. Really? Yeah. Well, you predicted that Kavanaugh would be on the court. Well, that wasn't hard. Um, <laughs> you know, here's what I heard. a lot of people here's, here's what were, I said. But predicting doesn't mean it's I wanted it to happen. No, I get that. Okay. Number one, I said, he's going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Two, he's going to be part of a majority now that reverses Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. And three, you're going to have what we really need at that point, a social revolution. Right. Okay? And I'm calling it a social revolution because I'm not a proponent of bloody revolutions. Right. And I understand revolutions are never neat. They're never polite. I get that. But Robert Thurman, the great Buddhist scholar who we're fortunate to get on our show, Mm -hmm. um wrote a book called The Cool Revolution, which I thought was a really cool phrase, (laughs) okay? Because what he's saying is you can have a revolution without bloodshed. Uh You do it through social programs. You do it through politics, but it's not just politics as usual. It's done, now that we have the internet, it's easier for people to communicate with one another. Yeah. And 
I'm going to throw out the, the one positive stat here, which makes me actually believe that within 10 years, this whole thing's going to get, this wrestling match is going to move towards the progressive side. Within the next two years, the most powerful political and economic demographic will be millennials. Right. Approximately 50% of millennials polled do not believe in capitalism. Hmm. That's That's a turn. Think about that for a moment. Why is that? Because they're opening their eyes and they're saying, wait a minute, I'm paying into a Medicare and Social Security system that may run out of money by the time I'm eligible. Mm-hmm. Why, right? And why is that? Because here's a progressive program because it's being leached out by private insurance companies and ridiculous private. And we're going to get to a hospital issue here in a second. So millennials are, are hip, you know, I have a real estate license and most of my clients this year were millennials. Uh-huh. So I, I get to, you know, ride around and, you know, look at, and you want to learn about someone, just help them <laughs> buy or sell a house. You'll yeah. learn a lot about them. And I love what I hear. Hmm. I love what I hear from millennials. And I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about values. Okay. I'm talking about the fact that in general, and we know we generalize, we're not talking about everyone, but overall millennials, they like money. Mm-hmm. They like making money, but they're spending it differently than we baby boomers did. Hmm. They don't want for the most, they don't want big fancy houses. They want a nice house, but they want it to be smaller and they want it to be uh, uh, environmentally right. Mm-hmm. They don't want big fancy cars. You know what they want? They want experiences and they'll spend money on them. They'll spend money on food. Right. Going out and 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 sharing food and drink with friends. They'll spend it on exotic vacations to cool places. Okay? They're much more into exper- cool experiences than material stuff. Okay? Right. And Overall, they're much more progressive in the sense that not the, not the, the hard-nosed de- definition of progressive, but they're not as selfish. Right. For the most part. They're not as selfish as we baby boomers have been. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, we talked about the 60s were a major revolutionary time with major progressive things happening. The civil rights movement, the, the, the feminist movement, the anti-war movement. But then in the 70s, most of baby boomers just went back to saying, okay, how much money can I make for me and my family? Right. And, that, and I, was, I was sorely disappointed. That Properly I thought, so. I thought that the 60s would actually change right. society much more than it well, did. Well, you and I are two of the schmucks who didn't buy into the, <laughs> buy into the okay, now we'll go back and, and just make money at, and who cares whose expense. Right. Right? So what does this have to do with the New Deal? All right, let's just do a, a quick history lesson here. So okay. We, so we don't all become moths and just go for the next shiny light, yeah. okay? <coughs> the New Deal was a series of programs, public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations enacted by liberal Democrats led by Franklin Roosevelt. 
from 1933 to 1936. They were responding to the needs for relief and recovery from the Great Depression. Major federal programs included Civil Works Administration, Farm Security Administration, uh, the Social Security Administration. Mm -hmm. Okay? Well, Roosevelt had to really fight like hell for it because what happened was the Supreme Court came up and said, we don't think these are legal. Uh Uh-huh. And so what he did, now we get a little closer to the Kavanaugh situation. What he tried to do was pack the Supreme Court. Uh-huh. So he, so he wouldn't have to you know, <laughs> spend so much energy getting through what he saw were necessary progressive programs to deal with the, you know, the, 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 the devastation of the uh, Depression. The technical phrase is the Judicial Procedures Reform Bill of 1937. It's basically Roosevelt trying to pack the court. <laughs> It was an initiative that Roosevelt proposed to add more justices to the court. Ah. His purpose was to obtain favorable rulings regarding New Deal legislation that the court had ruled unconstitutional. So can you just add more judges? Well, he thought you could. Uh (laughs) The Judiciary Act of 1869 uh, was Congress establishing that the United States Supreme Court would consist of a chief justice and eight associate justices. During Roosevelt's first term, the Supreme Court struck down several New Deal measures as being unconstitutional. Roosevelt sought to reverse this by changing the makeup of the court through the appointment of new additional judges. Uh-huh. So there's nothing in that the Constitution that says we got nine? Well, since the U.S. Constitution does not define ah. the size of the Supreme Court, huh. Roosevelt pointed out it was in the power of the Congress to change it. But it was viewed by members of both parties as an attempt to stack the court. Of course it was. And was opposed by many Democrats, including the vice president. (laughs) In 1936, Roosevelt won a sweeping re-election victory. People wanted his policies. Right. In the months following, Roosevelt proposed to reorganize the federal judiciary by adding a new justice each time a justice reached age 70 and failed to retire. Uh It was the subject of a a Roosevelt fireside chat in 1937, three weeks after the radio address, the Supreme Court published an opinion upholding a Washington state minimum wage law. The 5-4 ruling was a result of a shift by one of the more conservative Uh, judges. Trying to just Say, oh no, we we're not. Anyway, I'm not going to get into. We're not opposed to all these social changes. Minimum wage law—that's not something that the Supreme Court would have wanted. But it detracts from the fact that it's a conservative court, right? Uh, Roosevelt's legislative initiative initially ultimately failed. Um, And by the way, I'm not a legal scholar, but clearly, you know, you say what's unconstitutional about the government coming in saying we have to create public works program to help people who've lost their jobs during the Depression. Well, the Supreme Court found ways to find those laws unconstitutional. Uh Look, what are we really talking about? The wrestling match that has been going on, we could say for eons and centuries, but certainly in the United States for decades, between a conservative philosophy and a progressive philosophy. And if we're going to be honest, when it comes to certain economic policies, Conservatives have good cases. There are a lot of liberal and progressive legis- uh, uh, legislative policies that are boondoggles. Mm-hmm. They sound good, but they're ripoffs. <laughs> and 
So, you know, I'm not sitting here and saying that con- that progressives are always right and conservatives are always wrong. Right. But if we look at the weight of history, do most of us think that the Social Security is a good thing? Yes. Do most of us think that Medicare is a good thing? Yes. Do most of us think that the government should have a role in taking tax dollars and putting them towards people who have been unfairly, you know, lost jobs and work and help them out? Most. Okay. America, right now, most Americans agree with these policies, Mm -hmm. but we can't get them because the Republicans are using tricks that Democrats used decades ago. (laughs) And the two tricks are figuring out how to pack the Supreme Court. The the Republicans have done it. They've packed the Supreme Uh Court and they did it by having four of the five ultra conservatives on the court nominated by presidents who didn't win the popular vote. Right. Yeah. And and both sides have done it, but gerrymandering has also created the second a situation. issue is gerrymandering. So this is why following this race in Texas is so interesting because talk about a guy who's up against it. Yeah. You're in a Republican state, you're in a red state that's been gerrymandered to conservative Wet dreams. You know, it's a conservative yeah. wet dream, the way they gerrymandered those things to basically disenfranchise um, ethnic folks, uh-huh. okay? He, and he has a chance to over, overcome all that. And he's not taking any corporate money. Right. Be interesting. Now, here's my pessimism comes in. I think some, I think between the gerrymandering and, you know, if the Democrats aren't, by the way, if the Democrats aren't smart enough to have hundreds of pro bono lawyers standing at those polls to make sure everybody who wants to vote gets to vote, mm-hmm. shame on them. Yeah. Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay? Part of the Republican strategy, conservative strategy, is make it hard for people to vote. Right. We already do that. How can you have a sane country? A same culture that doesn't make election day a holiday. Right. Exactly. Think about that. And you we know, discourage people from voting. We want to make it hard for people to vote. In some democracies, voting is mandatory. <laughs> really? Yeah. But forgetting even that for a second. <laughs> how can how can election day not be a holiday? People have to take off from work? Yeah. No. To yeah. vote? It should be a holiday, and it should be. And you watch the lines. They're gonna they're gonna slow those lines down so that you have to wait three hours to vote in certain areas. Yeah. If the Democrats don't have four or five lawyers at every poll, then shame on them. I'm going to be in California during the election, so I've uh, absentee balloted. Ah. Which is very very easy, by the way. Yeah. Very easy. You don't have to stand in line. Well, first of all, there should be no standing in line anymore. We have this thing called, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the internet. Yeah, <coughs> I know. And uh, there are ways of securing an internet We do banking page. online. We bank online. Why can't we vote online? Exactly. You would think the banks are going to be more secure than the it's voting. Very, and you know what? If millennials have something to say about it, it's going to happen. Yeah. I have, I have faith in them. Do you think they're going to have as big an impact on society as the baby boomers had? Yep. Yeah. You're going to have another 60s revolution. Oh, oh the, a revolution's coming. Ah. Because it's the only way anything's going to get done. 
There's now there's another way, and that's called local politics. And we're going to get to that. We're going to we're going to bring up two local political issues that make probably make your skin crawl, but they also point the way to to one of the the antidotes to a Supreme Court, which is for decades now going to trust me. Trust me. You don't have to trust me. <laughs> they are going to turn back any progressive issue they can, mm-hmm. just like back in the 30s. This is this nothing new here, okay? Um, and so the antidote to the Supreme Court is going to be local propositions. Sure. We got two of them coming up. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. This is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunther, your host, and uh, Ron Van Wormer is co-hosting today. And when I leave at nine, he'll stick around and play great music for you the rest I of the will. morning. We have some guests coming up in oh about a half an hour um, that we think uh, you'll find intriguing. Uh, Rick Alfandre, uh, you you know him from uh, yeah. he's an advertiser here. He's a wonderful green architect and green builder. And he helps put together every year a green building expo at SUNY New Paltz. It's coming up uh, in, a, in a week or two. And so we're going to get an update on that and see what's talk about progress and progressive issues. See how we're doing with green building mm. here in the Mid-Hudson Valley. Uh, we're also going to hear from David McGuff. He's a personal photographer uh, and also was a, a photographic journalist for the New York Post. But uh, he's been the photographer for Paul McCartney, Woody Allen, Rolling Stones. Think he has some good stories? I'll bet. I'll bet she does. He's going to be here? Yes, and in cool. fact, they left the book for me downstairs, and, uh, um, and I remind me to go get it, oh, you yeah. know, for our segment, <laughs> because I'm looking forward to uh, looking at that, the beautiful photographs that he's done. Uh-huh. And of course, we'll, get a, we'll have some music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. He sent in a piece for us, yeah. and an existential wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. Okay. So we're talking about the fact that this whole Kavanaugh circus is part of a wrestling match been going on since the New Deal in the 1930s. Right. And the Republicans got what they wanted and not through majority vote. The majority of Americans are not ultra conservative. Right. Um, so how, how do we fight back uh, what's going to be happening over the next 20, 30 years with this highly conservative majority in the Supreme Court? And the answer is local propositions, local issues. And uh, before I get you to one which might be a successor, I'm going to tell you, you know, when I read this story, I mean, my blood just started boiling. I mean, it's not shocking, but it's still, you go, what the, what kind of culture do we live in? Uh And it's one which really calls to the carpet whether the interesting question 
can capitalism be eth- can capitalism be ethical? The answer is yes, it can. Yeah, but it, not the way we're practicing it. Which is probably why 50% of millennials don't believe in capitalism. And here's a perfect example. And I'm not making this up. All right. This is is fact. There's a rural area of Florida, about 40 miles inland from Naples, Florida. Now, if you've ever been to Naples, Florida, I did a trivia event there. (laughs) Uh, That is money central, man. Oh, yeah? Naples is filled, is a very expensive place to live in Florida. Uh And it's a beautiful place, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but talk about a place uh, not in my backyard area. Okay, fair enough. But about 40 miles inland is a very, very poor rural area. And they have a real problem because if someone gets sick in Imokali, Florida, mm-hmm. they have to drive 40 miles to a hospital in Naples, which is one of the most expensive hospitals uh, in the country because the people in Naples who live in Naples can afford uh-huh. expensive health care, right? Well, in a free society, if you're wealthy and you live in a wealthy enclave, you're allowed to have a hospital that charges a lot of money, uh-huh. Right. But here's what you're not allowed to do, even though they're doing it. (laughs) So here's the story. Not long after Bo Braden moved to southwest Florida to open a medical clinic, injured strangers started showing up at his house. Hmm. A boy who had split open his head at the pool, people with gashes and broken bones. There was nowhere else to go after hours. So they went to the doctor's house. This is old time stuff, right? Yeah. Old fashioned stuff. When people, so he proposed starting a 25-bed rural hospital to serve the 50,000 people who live in the farming town of Imakali, if I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and the nearby planned community called Ave Maria. And of course, the rural people loved that idea. Right? Sure. They wanted a local doctor and a local small hospital. Makes sense, right? It does. If if your kid splits his head open on the concrete, right, at 8.30 at night, you're going to now drive 40 miles to an expensive hospital in Naples, Florida? So this local doctor who was taking people in his house said, we're going to open up a rural hospital, right? 25 beds. Nice idea, right? Yeah. What, who do you think step? What do you think their biggest obstacle was? You think of oh, raising the money, right? No, they didn't have a problem with that. The big hospital. Yeah. Uh huh. You win the prize. <laughs> oh, cynical about capitalism, co-host. Uh huh. But then this past summer, a lar- the large hospital in Naples derailed the plans for the local hospital by asking the state to deny the proposal saying that the small rural hospital would siphon away patients and revenue from them. Well, yeah. The move has upended people's hopes and delayed any plans to start building the hospital, maybe for good. Uh. I mean, how greedy can you get? (laughs) It's like Naples, Florida has like 
5,000 Gordon geckos. Uh-huh. Rural communities across the country are suffering the effects of hospital closures because of shrinking populations, financial strains, and corporate consolidations. Because hospitals are profit centers. Since 2010, 87 rural hospitals have closed. But as Dr. Braden, this is the guy who takes people into his house, uh-huh. patients into his house, learned even when a town wants to open a new hospital to make up for the loss in care, the challenges are enormous. Just to open the doors, rural hospitals need to raise millions of dollars for construction, equipment, and salaries for doctors and nurses. They have to woo highly trained staff out of the way uh, to out of the way towns. They must thread a maze of regulations and high priced consultants, which are available to larger hospitals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they set up a bureaucracy to make it difficult to set up a hospital. No problem for a wealthy area. You just hire enough attorneys to bang it through. Uh-huh. Right? The Naples Hospital told the state its two hospitals already offered care to people 40 miles away, <laughs> and the area was not unserved or underdeserved. Of course, it is, as this doctor learned. Uh huh. The larger hospital questioned whether Dr. Braden's experience running a small-town health clinic was enough to prepare him for the challenges of a 25-bed hospital. The Naples hospital said the rural hospital would not have adequate staff or equipment to handle patients suffering catastrophic traumas. Well, here's the obvious point. Of course, the answer is of course not. Of course, a local rural hospital is not going to have the same level of expertise that a large wealthier hospital will but they can take first of all they can they can do what they call triage they can at least stop the person from dying and the and then get an ambulance to take them to the larger hospital if need be Uh rather than the people have to get in their own car Hmm. in the middle of the night and drive the 40 miles to the more expensive hospital i mean it's such bs it's such greed that you want to sit there and go no, no, this is a movie where Jimmy Stewart is the, is the rural doctor, <laughs> uh-huh. right? And George C. Scott is the, is the ass, you know, right. uh, doctor. In it. You know, we, we've seen this movie before. It's not a movie. Yeah. And the movies, though, they win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here. I mean. It doesn't seem like it's a, I mean, uh, a winning situation. How, how do those people sleep at night? That's my question. Uh, you know, and get up and look at themselves in the mirror. How do you do it? I don't know. What a, that's a good trick they have. There. Uh, it certainly is. It's, a, it's amazing to me that they can do it. All right, so here's the next story. Phew. If there's one consistent theme that's been on the, uh, that I've tried to put out there for 30 years on the radio, it's, it's to stop supporting factory farming, okay? Right. Well, Californians... Uh, in 2008... Voters ushered in Proposition 2, which sought to free egg-laying hens from tiny cages. If you don't know it by now, most of the chickens raised in this country, most of the lambs raised in this country for veal, most of the uh, pigs raised for pork are raised in cages so small, so tight, that they can't stand up or move around. Mm. How can you sleep at night knowing that you're supporting that? And yet... I'll bet you we got people listening to us right now who either unconsciously or through whatever reason support it. How do you support it? Guilty. If you spend $1 on factory farm meat, you're supporting it. And, I, and I'm guilty. 
And it's unconscionable and because I know it. we live in an area where it's not that hard to I find know. the alternative. I know. You have to pay more. And you have to find it. It's unconscionable. It's easy. Yeah. Hannaford's has, has, has cage-free stuff. Okay? I mean, and then local health food stores, local, you know, we have, we have local uh, businesses that will not do factory farming. We have local farms that are doing it yeah. right. Well, in California, they're trying to do something about it, but it ain't easy. All right, so they get, in 2008, they get this Proposition 2, two which says, okay, if you're going to use a cage, it's got to be large enough so the animal can at least stand up and move around. Mm -hmm. That's all they were asking for, which is not enough. <laughs> no. Since then, supermarket shelves have filled with cage-free varieties. Cor even corporations like McDonald's and Taco Bell have committed to using cage-free products. Uh-huh. But a decade later, 2018, voters are being asked to revisit the issue with Proposition 12, the Farm Animal Confinement Initiative. Why? The Humane Society of the U.S. says the measure is needed to update California standards and apply those standards to out-of-state farmers selling their products in California. Uh -huh. The early initiative simply stated that the three types of animals, chickens, lambs, and pigs, have to be able to turn around freely. Mm. That's all it, says, it allows them to do, right? The new measure says, no, 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 no. They have to be able to stand up and move around. Now, here's where it gets difficult. There are progressives out there who are railing against even this proposition. Get rid of the cages. Mm -hmm. It's still inhumane to raise an animal in a cage all its life that it can just because it can move around a little bit. Right? Absolutely. The same thing to do is to say, oh, you want to raise animals for food? Go ahead. You can't keep them in cages. Right. You can keep them in barns, you know. But, you see, capitalism encourages this because, and by the way, I don't think it's capitalism is in it necessarily diametrically opposed to being ethical. But the way we're practicing it, it is. Because it's a, if your purpose is to bake the most profit. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're a big animal producer of meat, what's the cheap, what's the most profitable way to raise an animal? Put it in a cage. Put it in a cage and pump it up with antibiotics and, and, and feed it and crap. Hormones. Yeah. And, yeah. All right. So from a capitalist standpoint, it makes perfect sense. But how do you sleep at night doing yeah. that? And I don't understand how people can sleep at night eating this stuff. Right. And yet, People who vote progressively do it all the time. Absolutely. We're going to finally learn that, you know, there's something more powerful in the Supreme Court. And it's called where we spend our dollars. Uh-huh. You want to change things? Change your, sp your personal spending habits first. If, you're going to, if we're going to sit around and wait for the Supreme Court to do the right thing or for our Congress to do the right thing, even if the Democrats take back the House... You're kidding yourself. Yeah. You're no different than that moth that goes to the wrong office because the light's on. <laughs> That's true. Hey, if it's a light, it must be, I, I'm it attracted be to it. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, if you're not going to support factory farming, you're going to pay more for meat. Well, pay more for it. Yeah. Oh, but I can't afford it. Yeah, you can. Eat less of it. Don't tell me you can't afford it when you got a 90-inch TV hanging there and you replace it every two years. Mm-hmm. 
at any rate. Um, so local is where it's going, basically. Local is where it's going. So regardless of what the uh, Supreme Court if, does. Well, you watch. When they overturn Roe v. Wade, and they're going to, mm-hmm. or they'll pull this trick. They won't overturn it. They'll just make it so difficult to get an abortion that they might as well overturn it. Right. They'll play with, they'll play with the words. Mm-hmm. Okay? You want, what's going to happen is local states and local communities will open up abortion clinics. Right. And eventually, they're going to, it's going to be a revolution because it's going to, we've already seen the first, where they say, the, uh, the first shot fired over the bow. We've told, we've, I've told this story twice now, I'm going to tell it a third time. I, I, pull up her name. Who's the current Oakland mayor? She, we deserve, oh. she needs a shout out. This was just a few months ago when the Justice Department said, we're going to bring ICE in and we're going to knock on people's doors and if they're immigrants uh, illegal, we're going to throw them out of the country. I don't care if they have kids here. Right? Libby Schaff. What is it? Libby Schaff. Libby Schaff. How do you spell her last name? S-C-H-A-A-F. Well, good for her because um, she's the mayor of Oakland, right? So when she hears this, she alerts immigrants in her city to say, hey, lock your door and don't open it if, if, if it's ice. Just don't open the door. Right. Well, when the Justice Department heard about this, they went apoplectic. They said you're to the to to the they said to the mayor you're breaking the law. Uh-huh. She said, "That's right. <laughs> These are my citizens. I was elected to protect them, and what you're doing is unethical." Yeah. And I think illegal. And if you so if you don't like it, arrest me. And they haven't done that yet. All right. That's the first shot fired over the bow. You're going to start seeing that when these right wingers on the Supreme Court. Uh, and right wingers is, is a poor phrase because then they use left wingers and now we're we're moths to the light again. Okay, yeah. when when judges who uh, either overturn Roe v. Wade or just water it down to where it's almost impossible to get an abortion, make funding impossible. Right. Uh, the answer is going to be local. Yeah. And say you know what? Because if enough people do it, the government will be powerless. What are they going to do? Arrest mayors? No. But there will be parts of the country where it won't be done, and that's where people are going to die. Yeah. Yeah. But until those people get educated and, you know, demand these things, that's what's going to happen. So um, the circus we just went through, and it was gut-wrenching. Yeah. Right? I mean, people are still shaking. (laughs) Because thrown in that, we had Christine Blasey Ford, who... Um, you know, basically was a incredibly credible witness under the most pressured situations. Mm-hmm. She withstood the pressure better than Kavanaugh did, and he's now on the Supreme Court. That's right. Uh, he didn't withstand the pressure too well, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> but she did. Yes, she did. And, um, you know, I'm not saying there aren't things we can do now. I'm rooting for this guy, Beto. What's his last name? Look up uh, 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 who's running against uh, Ted Cruz in Texas. This guy has quite an act. He's not apologetic. He's not doing watered down things like Hillary did where, you know, you try to parse it and you try to balance it and you try not to tick people off. He's getting right in the face 
of the conservatives in Texas and saying it's time for universal health care. It's time to take automatic guns off the streets. It's time for, you know, much better education. And he's not backing down and he's not apologizing for it. They're just calling him Beto. Hang on. Let me see if I can find his Beto name. Beto is all well, you really need to know. B-E-T-R. I think that's his first, that's his first name. And uh, Ted Cruz is claiming that he's going to ban barbecues in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I just, that's just a headline I got. Progressives don't like barbecues? Uh, apparently not. Yeah. Uh, Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke. There's a... Oh, man, let's root that guy in. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke. It's not going to happen, though. He won't win. He probably won't, but he's scaring the hell yeah. out of Cruz. This is my and fear. The Republicans. And being a progressive, my fear is that uh, Democrats aren't going to come out to vote. Oh, that, does, that wouldn't surprise me. You either. know, 40% of eligible voters in this country don't. 40%. And, and you know what? I'll take the George Carlin stance on that one. As much as I hope the Democrats take over both the House and the Senate, and I'm not a registered Democrat, I can't stand either party for the most part, uh, the, um, the fact is I don't, I don't have faith. I hope I'm wrong. Mm. I don't have faith that Democrats are going to come out and vote. I don't either. And I, by the way, if they're not going to come out and vote now after what they just went through, I might, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to wait for millennials to take over. I'm telling you, we're going <laughs> to have to wait for the millennials to get bigger and stronger. I spoke to two, uh, two uh, young people, 22 and 27 uh, the other day, and neither of them had ever voted and hmm. didn't have an interest in politics. That was scary. Educated, college educated people. Voting should be online. 22 year, every 22 year old is online. Yeah. And, uh, it's a joke. It's not even a holiday. You have to take off from work to vote on a Tuesday. On a God's Tuesday. sake, right? Heaven a forbid. Saturday. It could be a Saturday. Could be a Saturday. I mean, don't make it a holiday if you don't want to go that far. But at least put it on the weekend. But there's a method to the madness, and it's true of Democrats as well as well as Republicans who are entrenched. Mm-hmm. They don't want people voting. They nope. like it the way things are. They yeah. want their they want their seat. That's right. That's what's most important. And the fewer people who vote, the better. And uh, term limits would help. You're never going to get that. Nope. So, hey, you got to deal with what is. Again, if we don't want to be a moth, just go into the light, no matter, even if it's in the wrong place, because we're attracted to light. We got to, we're going to have to think a little more deeply about these issues. And we're going to have to get a lot more local. Mm hmm. And. Uh, it's, it's interesting, but, but don't think for a second, this isn't the same wrestling match that's been going on since the new deal. Yeah. And I'll go back to where I started, go into these rural areas and tell people, here's the deal. <laughs> we'll protect you against all the things that you're, you've been taught to be scared of immigrants, blacks, feminists, transgender people. Yeah. Hispanics. Right. We'll we'll pass legislation to protect you against all those people, but you're going to have to because you don't like socialism, but you're going to have to give up your Medicare and you're going to have to give up your Social Security. Mm -hmm. See how far that goes. Let's see how they do with that one. Yeah.
All right. Well, <laughs> we can dream on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna change pace and get some music in. We're gonna talk green architecture, and we're gonna talk to a photographer who worked with uh, uh, Woody Allen and the yeah. Rolling Stones, and was a New York Post uh, uh, journalist. So it should be fun. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. So much younger than today I never needed anybody's help in any way But now these days are gone I'm not so self-assured Now I find a change of mind I'll open up the doors Sure. Now I find I've changed my mind. I'll open up the doors. 